You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning. I hope everybody's having a good day. And for me, it's actually at nighttime. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because tonight we had something special at the church building during Bible classes. Payson, my 13-year-old boy, got baptized tonight. And I was able to baptize him, so I'm doing well. Uh, my sleeves are rolled up, so they wouldn't get them wet in the baptistry. And uh, obviously a little bit different surroundings in here than what I have been doing in the auditorium, but trying to maybe find a more permanent space to do these recordings and uh, trying to see what works. But uh, I'm doing good. I'm excited for my son and for our family and excited for the decision he made to put on Christ in baptism. And it goes really well with today's lesson. Today's about the resurrection. We're to the end of the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, picking up on themes and and big moments and trying to get a feel for how Mark kind of wants to present to us the life of Jesus. And when we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, it's the resurrection. And of course, baptism enacts that. We go down into the water and die, just like Jesus died on the cross. We're buried just like Jesus was buried, but that's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. We rise to walk in newness of life, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. And that's what Payson did tonight. And so a better example of this sermon is actually watching someone being born again. So I'm going to ask you a very serious question. And everybody here is listening to your answer. And more importantly, God is listening to your answer. And so... From your heart, who do you believe Jesus is? Christ and Lord. And may you be blessed for that, just like Peter was when he said it. Based on your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins so that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, we're pretty excited. And just a beautiful reenactment of the gospel story, a beautiful moment whenever we put on that gospel story for ourselves, whenever we become a part, fully clothed in Jesus, a part of the family of believers. Uh, Yeah, wonderful. I'm excited. And it's right there in the gospel story itself. Although... Mark does present his resurrection story a little bit differently than the other gospel writers. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought aromatic spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They had been asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. Then, as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Then they went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them. And here's where it's different. And they said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Now, as you read your translation, and this one too that I have in front of me, it goes on, but there's brackets. Starting in verse 9, it's offset by brackets, and I have a rather lengthy footnote, and you might as well. They talk about verses 9 through 20, and it might say something along the lines of, the best and earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. Uh, we, there are thousands of manuscripts of the different parts of the New Testament. And scholars and uh, students of the Bible, professors, teachers, translators, try to see which one of those manuscripts, which of those manuscripts are the most reliable and the best. And often they look for the oldest ones. We don't have the original copies. We don't have the copy that Mark himself wrote. All we have is copies and copies of copies, and copies and copies of those copies. And in those multitude of copies, there's bound to be some differences. A word missing here, an extra word or different spelling here, an extra letter. And most of them are insignificant, but sometimes there's big ones. And the Gospel of Mark contains a big one, the ending of Mark. There are two options. Either this is what Mark wrote, and if he did, good. It corresponds very nicely with Matthew, Luke, and John, and other parts of the New Testament that talk about Jesus' resurrection. There's nothing in these section, in these verses that are different or show us something different that's not other places. Even a very popular verse among Church of Christ preachers that I've heard a lot growing up, Mark 16, 16, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, we like that verse because it concisely emphasizes baptism and salvation. But guess what? It's not the only verse that does that. There are many verses. Acts 2, the year, 238, Romans chapter 6, what I emphasized earlier, and many other places. And so it's not like <laughs> that these verses, the gospel story or the teachings of Jesus would fall apart if they weren't there. No, actually, they are very part and parcel with there's a scripture, and that's good. But if Mark ended it earlier, and one of these verses were added to later because the copyists, the scribes, were looking at the end of Mark going, wait a second, that's an odd ending. Maybe Mark meant for it to be an odd ending. And I don't know. I'm no scholar, historian. Uh, I've done some study on this, and some people believe it's authentic, that God preserved it, and that's an authentic. Maybe. If it is, again, good. It tells us more of the story. Again, if a scribe even added it later, it's not like he's lying to us. Now, this is how the later events unfolded. Uh, they did go and tell. <laughs> they didn't just keep it to themselves. But Mark, in that phrase in verse 8, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. is an interesting statement. And... If it is the way he ended his account, it's shocking. Because 
Are you telling me it ended there? And that's maybe the response he's wanting us to ask. But knowing it didn't end there, you see the Christians, and Mark wrote his gospel to Christians, and those would be the ones who were reading it. They was passed around the churches among the disciples, among the Christians of the early church. Uh, a decade or two or so after Jesus and the spread of the gospel, after Paul had gone on some of his missionary journeys and written his letters, that Mark would have written this gospel and it would have been passed around the church. So they knew full well somebody told somebody about Jesus because they were worshiping him. They were in worship service listening to this gospel message, to this account being read. So why would he end it like that? Well, he keys in on an initial fear that these women had. And I think it's kind of a cliffhanger, open-ended ending that asks us, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about what we've just read? We've just spent 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospel accounts. And so when we move on to Luke next month, uh, we got a whole lot more to cover because we only have about three months to do it and Sunday morning sermons and Bible classes. There's going to be some of it uh, that we don't hit, that we don't get to. Uh, and in Mark, even some of that, we couldn't cover it all in depth by any means, not by a long shot. But I hope we maybe got a sense of the feel of the urgency of Jesus's mission, of how amazing he was to behold and the shocking nature of his ministry and how, you know, the disciples often were afraid, like when they were afraid of the storm, but then Jesus calms the storm and then they realize, wait, I'm afraid of Jesus because he's more powerful than that storm was. Uh, tonight, We've had a thunderstorm watch, and I haven't heard too much outside. I, don't, I haven't checked lately, but storms can be scary. And that passage we already looked at shows how Jesus can be even scarier. And here, the women are at the tomb, and they see this man and wonder, where's Jesus? And he says, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. We take that for granted because we've been doing church for a couple of thousand years now. But that is a shocking statement. That he was dead, but he's not dead anymore. What it implies is, and Mark very much has emphasized the power of Jesus, and what it strongly implies is that Paul takes and runs with in his letters is Jesus is more powerful than death itself. So if you're scared of death, and most people I know are, I mean, I try not to be, but I got to admit, sometimes I am, at least a little bit. I don't necessarily want to die right now. Uh, I like having a family. I'm being a preacher here in Winsboro, uh, and there are many parts of my life I like, not every part by any means, but I am not just eager to hurry up and die by any means. And so I'm a little bit <laughs> hesitant, scared, even. Death is a huge unknown. I, I don't know what it's going to feel like. I've never done it before. And everybody I've known has stayed dead. It's kind of the definition of death. Jesus breaks that definition. 
And if he really did rise from the grave, which I believe he did, and Payson confessed it tonight, you know, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord, is, not was, is. He rose from the grave. That makes him more powerful than the thing humanity has feared forever, for as long as we've been humanity since the Garden of Eden. We feared death because we've realized how powerful and unstoppable it is. Well, guess what? Jesus is stronger. And if he can break the chains of death, if he can overcome death, it means God is doing something. Something is going on, and he's inviting us to join him. And again, as Paul emphasizes, he breaks our chains of death as well. That now there's hope. There's eternity. And in some ways, that might be even a little bit scarier. It kind of was for these ladies. They were going to expect the body of Jesus laying there where, they, where he'd been left. Instead, they're confronted that, you know what? This world does not work the way you think it does. That's a frightening notion. Because I'm... I like gravity to be gravity. I like light to be light. I like the sun to come up and the sun to go down. If something drastically changed in all that, it'd be frightening. And that's what these women experience. Life was life, death was death. And yet here, Jesus broke those rules. He rose just as he said. He's every bit as powerful as he said, and actually even more so than you can imagine. He conquered death. And yeah, for honest, that's scary. It's hopeful, but it's scary to know that we serve a God, a Lord, a King, that unstoppable. And it scared these women. They didn't know what to do. They just went back and cowered in the fear, at least for a time. Uh, as they went back, you know, I don't know how long it lasts. Mark just leaves us hanging. Well, what happened next? Well, Mark doesn't bother to, doesn't bother to tell us because he's really asking us. Colby, what's next? What are you going to do, Colby? Are you going to cower in fear? It's important to note that the Christians that Mark had been writing to, again, a decade or two after Jesus' resurrection actually took place, many of them were suffering persecution. Many of them had a reason to be afraid of spreading the message of Jesus. It came with consequences. And he's asking of them and still us these many years later, even though we don't face that kind of persecution now, thankfully, but even still, we can be afraid. We can be afraid. But here's the thing. If we say... We love Jesus. If we say we want to follow Jesus, if we put on Jesus in baptism, then we also commit to his mission. If we love Jesus, we also love his mission. And Jesus said, uh, John tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here, Jesus or this angel tells them in anticipation of them also seeing Jesus, 
Go tell. That's their job. Specifically, go tell the disciples and Peter, but just go tell, spread the news. What Jesus said was going to happen has happened. He is who he claimed to be. He conquered death. And our job now, go tell. And we might be afraid. What are we going to do with it? That's the question John's been asking for the last 16 chapters. His fear has cropped up multiple times. Again, a very important theme in the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, you're afraid. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your fear? Are you going to let it control you? Or are you going to be faithful? I think that's what Mark is laying in front of us. Whether he wrote the next... 11 verses or not. I don't know. I'm okay either way. If you did, fine. If you didn't, well, that's all right too. The message is the same, but there's a little bit different emphasis if we stop at verse 8 and just let it... Wait, what? They didn't tell anyone? Well, are you going to tell anyone? Are you going to be controlled by your fear? That's the cliffhanger Mark is giving us. So I want to challenge you this week. I ask you, who are you going to tell? Take this instruction here seriously. And the Great Commission given in Matthew chapter 28. Go tell. And Matthew extends it, and it's from the, you know, Jesus himself telling his apostles after they meet up with him in Galilee, before he ascends, make disciples, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the way I baptize, pays and deny. But who else are you going to tell? Who needs to hear it this week? Pick somebody. Pray about it. Think about it. Go and tell them. Get somebody to go with you. Call up another church member. Call up one of the elders. Call me up. I would love to go and share in that moment. If you want to make you know a time to go and visit somebody and bring me along, and we can talk about some of the things I'm talking about right now. How Jesus conquered death. How Jesus rose from the grave. How he is alive. And let God do his work. Our job, go and tell. Pick somebody. Take this seriously. Do what you can. And don't have to preach a sermon at them. Don't have to have a long and depth Bible study. But tell somebody, Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. That's why I love closing our worship services that way. And I'll close with it today as well. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen. And Jesus is coming.